You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. We're talking about practice. Hello, you play to win the game. The Yankees are champions of baseball. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Three, two, one. Happy 2000. No time on the clock, and the Patriots have won Super Bowl 36. Jordan open. Chicago with the lead! Worldwide Sports Radio Network presents Below the Mic. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Below the Mic. We are live every single Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time. As you know, you can call us at 631-965-4990. And remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't done this already, well, this is what you do. All you have to do is download our app. How do you do that? You go to the iOS, you put in the search key WWSRN, and if you haven't done that yet, you can also go to the Android and put in the search in the Play Store, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I've been saying this over and over again. I don't know where you guys have been. It is a warm, warm, warm day here in Long Island, New York, and the humidity is absolutely terrible. I am telling you right now, right now as we speak, I am not wearing any underwear. So I am, I am wearing pants, but no underwear. <laughs> so here in this studio, I am not wearing any underwear because of the sweat. So unfortunately, I do not like the heat. I am a much... More bigger fan when it comes to fall and winter. Anyways, <laughs> Speedy Petey, what's going on, my friend? I, 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 unlike Errol, am wearing underwear, so we got that out of the way. Mm. And I finally got my hair cut look, after you, you got it you last actually, week. You actually look pretty good. Thank you. I actually, uh, my grandfather got one too. He was actually like you for a while. He was just waiting for the time to get one, and we, we never, never could figure it out. But oh my God. we both finally got our hair cuts yesterday, and yep, fresh new look. It is terrible. It is absolutely terrible, but thank God COVID-19 is starting to move forward here. And we're in, uh, I guess you could call it uh, the Cuomo third stage, because this is all about Cuomo and his stupidity. So um, we are in the third stage of the process. Hopefully soon we'll be in the fifth stage and the last stage so we can move forward with our lives and actually smell what The Rock is cooking or smell what Errol is cooking. (laughs) As you guys know, we have a great show lined up for you guys today. At 6.30, we'll be talking to University Arizona head head baseball coach Jay Johnson. And at 7.15, we'll be talking to former Falcons Titan safety speedy. Antoine Harris. Antoine Harris, as you guys know. So that'll be a great interview. I'm sure he's going to be fun to interview. And we'll ask him about the draft, his thoughts of what is going on as far as the secondary. We will talk to him about Jamal Adams and his craziness. I'm sure he has his own thoughts to it. But as you guys know, below the mic has everything included, including this part of the show. Sports and Entertainment Weekly News. As you guys know, well, if you don't know, the Hawks could trade five players for Devin Booker. There are stories coming out right now in Phoenix that Devin Booker wants out. And there could be a team like the Hawks, who has a lot of good young prospects, that could make a move for a great player, one of the best great young shooters in the NBA. LeBron James, I want the betterment of people, no matter skin color. Well, if you want the betterment of people, why are you speaking about it? I think you should just stay away from the conversation. There's a lot of things going on in the world besides what is going on 
with the George Floyd situation. Yes, it was a catastrophe and it should have never happened. But I think right now we have to move forward as Americans and stand together. I, I don't think they should be speaking about it. I do not believe you should be kneeling to the national anthem. It does not help what's going on in the world. Tom Brady continues to lead the Buccaneers workouts. Well, obviously, Tom Brady has gone out and said that he wants all the players to come to camp and work out with him, and all the players have done that. And there's good uh, combination of great young players offensively and defensively have showed up to his workout. So that's good news for the Buccaneers. Too bad the guy is 45, 44, 43 years old. He's an old man, and I don't know how far he's going to go. The Jets are targeting tackle Collins in a Jamal Adams trade with the Cowboys. Well, obviously, uh, the tackle uh, Collins could move to guard if the Jets do decide to move and, and move Jamal Adams. The question is, how many other prospects and how many other draft picks are they going to get involved in that trade? Jamal Adams is an all-pro player. Collins is a partial all-pro player right. over the last couple of years. He's still fairly young. This offensive line will go from one of the worst offensive lines to the best offensive line in football if they land Collins in a trade for Jamal Adams. Yeah, I think he was on the all-rookie team as a guard his rookie year in 2016. And he struggled a little bit at tackle last year, but he can play both, and that's always what the Jets need in versatility. Roger Goodell says NFL plans to start training camp on time. Pandemic. Well, Bleacher Report says the NFL and Roger Goodell said that the league plans to open training camps next month and plan and seemingly determine to move forward with fan attendance, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Mm. So he's saying that he wants the fans out there. There will not be, um, as far as I'm concerned, audio of fans screaming and shouting <laughs> in the background. There will be fans as far as wow. he's concerned. So mm-hmm. NFL plans 2020 must allow players and coaches to opt out. As the NFL and NFL Players Association work towards agreement, hopefully that will allow the 2020 season to be played And an important consideration cannot be forgotten. Any players or coaches who decide that they are not comfortable participating in the season will be structured and given an option uh, as far as their contracts are concerned. Hmm. LeBron James believes the NFL still owes Colin Kaepernick uh, an apology. Hey, LeBron, how about this apology? Shut up and worry about the NBA. That's what I said. You are not a part of the NFL. You could have been a star tight end in this league, but you're not. So why are you speaking up for the NFL? It makes absolutely no sense. Especially with other better quarterbacks, a.k.a. Cam Newton, not signed. He's an idiot. That's what he is. And I have a lot of respect for Lamar James. Why don't you stay to your production and your TV shows or whatever the hell you're doing and stay out of the NFL? The NFL has their own options on what they want to do and how they want to move forward. And why are you bringing up Colin Kaepernick? Colin Kaepernick is no longer a part of the organization. He's no longer part of the league. And if he does come back or if he is part of Seattle, he's not going to be a star quarterback anymore. So stay out of it. (laughs) Josh Gordon expects the decision on reinstatement prior to the start of the season. Obviously, you know Josh Gordon was suspended again for drug use, marijuana use. Now, the question is, when you look at the NFL and the options right now, the NFL are bringing back, bringing in marijuana. As for players, instead of taking pills, they could smoke marijuana. Is this count for Josh Gordon with all the problems he's had over the years. I don't know. The NFL is going to have to decide that with Josh Gordon. How disciplinary will he be? He always says he's going to do it, and then something else happens. So one can only hope he can actually stay consistent. NBA rumors and news. The best target for every NBA team this offseason. Uh, the 2020 NBA free agent class does not have a star power or recent years, and the financial impact of COVID-19 on the players' contacts 
uh, contracts and remaining to the scene to be seen. But that doesn't mean the teams around the league won't pursue players in a bolster or bolster their rosters in, in another championship run. So uh, obviously the NBA and, and some of the NBA teams are going to be going after big time superstars in the offseason. It doesn't matter how much the money they've lost from COVID-19. I think you're going to see a lot of the guys in this free agency because of the salary cap loss, though, probably try to take the extra year and stay with their current team. Laurie Markkinen, unlikely to reach an extension in 2020-2021. One of the best young players in the NBA for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the question is, are they going to come to uh, an agreement or will he go to free agency? That's going to be a good question. And, and if he does go to free agency, this is one of the best young talents in the free agency market. You're talking about... Um, you're talking about somebody like Kristaps Porzingis-esque, a, a guy that yeah. has a tremendous amount of talent, good rebounder, good offensive player, and has a tremendous amount of growth. So don't be so surprised if the New York Knicks go after a player of that magnitude if he becomes available. I wanted them to draft him if they didn't have Porzingis at the time, so that would be interesting. Portland Trailblazers issue layoffs on salary reductions amid coronavirus. Obviously, you're hearing that uh, Portland Trailblazers are trying to cut cost and cut uh, contracts right now with everything that's going on with the the loss of dollars for their organization. So I'm very interested to see where they're going with that. Three reasons why LaMelo Ball is a bad fit for the Warriors in the NBA draft. I do not believe LaMelo, LaMelo, uh, is, LaMelo Ball will be going to them. I think he'll be an option for other teams. Why do they need a point guard, especially when they have one of the best young point guards in the NBA? Yeah, we both said that Wiseman is, is probably the likely yes. target, and I've also heard rumors that Anthony Edwards, the shooting guard out of Georgia, is somebody that they're targeting and they like a lot. Andre Drummond could be the great, could be great for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, Andre Drummond was traded last year to the Cavaliers from Detroit. A lot of people are saying that he might, uh, they might decide to move on from Andre Drummond and try to get as much back for him as far as draft stock. He is staying put. He wants to stay in Cleveland, and I believe he will be in Cleveland for the next couple of years. Yeah, our, when we had the Cavs announcer, Tim Alcorn, on, he mentioned that how much he really liked the Cavaliers, despite it being a rebuilding team, which you never usually see at a star players these days. I don't know how star-like uh, Drummond is, but he's a good player. MLB rumors and news. Twins, Miguel Sano. It will not face charges for alleged kidnapping. Now, I don't know anything about this story, but Minnesota Twins infield Sanu, it will not face charges in his native Dominican Republic in a bizarre case involving an alleged kidnapping, according to Lavelle E. Neal, the third of Star Tribune, prosecuting heard evidence Thursday and declined to file. So he, it obviously is not a kidnap uh, case. He was kidnapping supposedly his kid. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. I, I definitely got to read that story after this show. Five best MLB free agents. Now, uh, there are going to be a couple of good free agents that are going to be available next offseason. Uh, also, this season, I've been unsigned. Uh, definitely look at some of these free agents, if available, sometime when, uh, when it does come with the 60-game season. Some of these guys will be signed if there is partial injury to some of these players. You wonder if they'll be traded, too. A lot of those pending free agents, if, again, they don't do well on a small sample size, and they'll be announced the trade deadline will be August 31st. What if the 2019 MLB season had ended after 60 games? Well, I don't know how it would have, but or if it would have, but as of right now, 
There will be an MLB season. And the question is, are, are the fans going to be excited with the 60-game season knowing that it was cut down to a significant total? I'm talking about maybe a little bit more than a third of a season. Right. So it is not very, very good uh, for the MLB and for the ownership paying the players 30% of their earnings. So it's not good news as far as I'm concerned. And NHL news. NHL could schedule daily triple headers if season resumes. Triple headers? That's crazy. Yeah, I think they're trying to do it where they're trying to spread out some day games, some like mid-afternoon games, some 7 o'clock starts, and obviously the West Coast games starting at 10 Eastern like they usually do. Carey Price needs more answers before supporting the return to play plan. Carey Price, who has been injury prone for a, how long? Mm. Well, his whole career know. practically. Three, four, <laughs> five years. Why the hell does anybody care what Carey Price thinks? This is a guy that's had problems uh, with injury year in and year out. This guy has not been a good Samaritan for the Canadians. And as good as a player that he has been as a goaltender in the NHL, he has not helped the facts of this team and this organization moving forward. And I don't know how much he has left. So, Carey Price, you need to keep your mouth shut. He had a bad year this year, too. His GAA was over 3.1, I think. And latest on the eligibility for current year contracts to be signed. Well, obviously... Uh, with with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, you don't know where this is going with uh, the contract disputes and where some of these uh, unrestricted and restricted free agents are going to be after this season. That's going to be a question for Gary Bettman to answer after this crazy season. And that is it for the sports and entertainment for this week for Below the Mic. Great, great show lined up for you guys. Like you, like we said, we are going to be talking to University of Arizona head baseball coach Jay Johnson in just a few minutes. Speedy, but we wanted to get into a particular subject. And one of the subjects you wanted to get into uh, in this show was what? The NFL biggest draft busts at certain positions. So this could be all time. I mean, obviously you watch more football before that. So we'll just alternate positions. What are you? What do you think are some of the biggest NFL draft busts at each, each position, and maybe some that are forgotten about? Well, I don't know if you're a Jet fan, and if you are a Jet fan out there, I don't think you're going to forget about Vernon Galston, who was a complete bust as a defensive lineman. Did nothing for the New York Jets. I think he had one sack and at about three or four tackles in his career. This guy was a top draft pick. He was a top ten draft pick. I think the Jets draft at the fourth pick from Ohio State. He was, was a six, complete, yeah. he was a complete bust. Absolutely horrendous. Um, also, Ryan Leaf. Ryan mm-hmm. Leaf was a complete bust as a quarterback. He was drafted after Peyton Manning, if you guys remember, and he had drug problems, problems off the field, and this guy is in and out of jail. I think he just got out of jail. I, I mean, he was a complete <laughs> bust as a quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, two, two that come to mind for me. I'll do one offense, one defense. Uh, defensively, Aaron Curry was definitely one of them. A big-name linebacker out of Wake Forest. I believe it was the 2009 draft for the Seahawks. You normally draft defensive players as well, but they, they definitely did not in that draft. Uh, Aaron Curry, I, I really liked a lot. He really did not do anything, especially on a good linebacking court like they had. So that's one for definitely for defense and then offensively receiver uh 2013 draft Tavon Austin was definitely a huge bust everyone thought his speed was going to make a difference at the next level in a faster game and obviously that didn't happen because all he had were drop problems he was basically Robbie Anderson that could line up as a running back well as a Jet fan I I have I've looked at some of these teams and some of these rosters that the Jets have had over the years here's another bust Milliner who was drafted from Alabama I was wrong on him he was an absolute Mm -hmm. complete bust he couldn't do anything on the field he after the Jets I don't even think anybody signed him 
How about the Louisville Slugger, Calvin um, Calvin Pryor? Yeah. Another guy that was a top draft pick who came to the Jets. Everybody was talking about how great of a tackler he is and how he knocked people out on the field when he played for Louisville. And then all of a sudden he came to the New York Jets and he was in and out of the New York Jets organization within three years. So those are another two players that were complete bust. Right. And, of course, New York Jets. A lot of a lot of the 2013 first round, if you look back at it, it was really bad. So the Jets weren't the only one, but again, that was a bad one. Another corner that uh, drafted the year after that was highly touted and became a bust. Naturally drafted by the Browns, Justin Gilbert was another one. I think he most recently played at the Steelers. He played okay there, but again, not great. He was a high-profile corner out of Oklahoma State, but he never got it done. And he's just one of the many laundry list of Browns that didn't get it to work. And in a 2014 draft that was loaded, that's surprising. And then the second pick of the 2014 draft, an offensive lineman, probably the biggest O-line bust was Greg Robinson. Who's the guy Who's the guy that Jacksonville drafted, the quarterback that they drafted a couple of years ago? Bortles or Gabbert? Uh, Gabbert. Uh-huh. I, I mean, Blaine Gabbert, who's still in the league, and Bortles, who's going to be a backup and probably won't be in the league this right. year. Two quarterbacks that were completely busts. And you're talking about Jacksonville. These guys, Gabbert was the number one draft pick. I, right? lo- I loved him out of the draft. I was very wrong on him. I mean, he was the number one draft pick, <laughs> and he was a complete bust. And even though he's had better opportunities as a backup quarterback as he's moved forward in his career, this guy, complete bust. This was the number one pick in the draft, and he was complete bust. Not- and Blake Bortles, forget about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the heck. And, and by the way, Matty Caps, who absolutely loved <laughs> Blake Bortles. He hated Andy Dalton, who still... Still in the league who could be starting for the Cowboys this year and has had success in the NFL. You're talking about Blake Bortles. What success has he had in the NFL? And don't tell me about that playoff run because it had nothing to do with Blake Bortles. Yeah, nothing. You, you know what's interesting is with Jacksonville, they've been one of the worst drafting teams too. They tend to reach on a lot of players just from the fact that they're being from Florida. Not so, defensive players. Uh, been Derek, very well. Derek Harvey was one. Yes. Uh, 2008, the, he was a bad draft pick for them. Dante Fowler. He was a good, he's a he good was, player. He was all right. I, 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 injury, remember he tore his ACL. Prom- yeah. Yes, he, he never played in his rookie year. But again, he was really just a speed rusher. I thought they reached on him a little bit in that draft. Still a good player in the NFL. But it seems like they'd like to reach on a lot of Florida players. And again, Bortles being the worst of them, uh, obviously, in that draft. Because Bortles, I don't think, was ever thought of to go that high. Everyone was hyping up Manziel. Everyone was hyping up Bridgewater in that draft. Bortles was supposed to be more of that late first-round pick type. So that was definitely very interesting. Uh, definitely another one. Another Receiver to look at, oddly enough, the Jaguars is Justin Blackman. Now, Justin Blackman off-field issues obviously cost him more than uh, actual playing because we don't know what he would have been playing-wise. But again, the Jaguars, it's the Jaguars. They love to gamble on stuff like that uh, when it comes to when it comes to the off-field issues, and hence they don't draft well as a result. So that's another one for me in, in that draft. And then in the in that same 2011 draft. Right. Uh, you, the other quarterback that was taken was was Jake Locker. Now, Jake Locker is somebody I thought that got a little bit of a raw deal, but again, he didn't produce like he was supposed to either. The Titans front office was bad to an extent, but again, they could have taken Cam Newton was in that draft, and then like you were saying, Dalton was in that draft, who was a, again, decent starting quarterback, not great. So the Titans definitely gambled and lost on that. Uh, bust in 1995, Kijana Carter, the, the running back who uh, was a top running back in college football. He was a top draft pick, a first overall pick in 1995. 
five. You're talking about a running back that was the number one pick, and he was a complete bust by the Bengals. He was absolutely mm-hmm. and and when you look at him, he tore his ACL and really how his career just progressed, even not with the Bengals, with other teams and other organizations. He just couldn't find his way, and that's the problem when you look at Kijana Carter. Um, also, we, we we mentioned Ryan Leaf, so I'm looking at some of the players. I'm going through. I'm skimming through some of the busts. And you know, Tim Couch was a bust, first overall pick mm-hmm. in 1999, who was a fairly good quarterback with the Browns, but he also played for one of the worst organizations. Right. And if he played, maybe if he was drafted by another team, another organization, maybe we wouldn't be talking about Tim Couch as being a bust. But right. Tim Couch just – Jake Locker, by the way, you're absolutely right, Carl. Uh, he was absolute garbage. Jake Locker, who wasn't even a – I think he was a second or third round draft pick. He was, no, he was, a, he was the first round pick. Was I think he? he was eighth overall. Yeah, I think he was – Jake r- Locker? Yeah, he was. But again, his injuries being – he was always thought of as more of the raw but could be talented type of quarterback. But again, his injuries and the Titans' bad front office decisions cost him uh, big time. Um, you mentioned uh, the Keanu Carter. Another one for the Bengals is Akili Smith, the running quarterback. I, for, I forget which drafter it was exactly, but he was highly touted as a running quarterback, flashy running quarterback, and he definitely never got it going in the NFL. How about Vince Young? I mean, Vince Young, who was the third overall pick. And you remember what he did in, you know, with, with, Texas, what, you, yeah. you know, with Texas and what he did against the USC team, uh, <laughs> Matt Leinart, his last season. Talk about another one. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get into that, too, because I liked Matt Leinart when he was coming out of USC. I thought he was going to be successful, just like when we saw Palmer, when Carlson Palmer mm-hmm. got drafted, we thought, hey, now maybe they'll have a spurt of good young quarterbacks that come out of USA, but ever since then, I, you look at it, it's been completely terrible right. when, when it comes to it, but Vince, Car- Vince Young, who really did not develop as a quarterback in the NFL, he was the, the prototypical running quarterback that can make mm-hmm. throws on the run, everybody thought he was going to be a great player coming out of Texas, winning the national title, he was a complete bust. Mm-hmm. Also, Jamarcus Russell, absolutely, yep. Carl, he was absolutely a, ca- <laughs> a catastrophe for the Oakland Raiders. We're talking about when you look at that draft and how many good players that came out of that Great draft. players out of that draft. Jamarcus Russell was a complete bust. One of the worst players out of the draft. One of the heaviest players to come out of that draft when you're talking about a quarterback who was drafted at 280 pounds. I mean... <laughs> Uh, absolutely horrendous draft pick. I think he tried to play after that uh, in Canada or some other country. Yeah, and he, CFL. He was, I think, 312 pounds as a quarterback, which the only other one I saw that do was Jared Lorenzen, who backed up the Giants for a while. And, and, he, and you mentioned Matt Leinart. Matt Leinart, who was the 10th overall pick by two, in 2006 by the Arizona Cardinals. I, if you look at the draft picks, Arizona in the last I would know last thirty years. Well, last twenty years. They're on and off. Yes, Arizona, their yeah. their draft picks have been absolutely horrendous. Absolutely horrendous when it comes to the quarterback position. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I think Kyler Murray has been a very a fairly good draft pick so far. What we have to see his development mm-hmm. and his skills in that offense. He's got one of the best wide receivers in football. So we'll see how he develops with the with an uh, arguably one of the best wide receivers in football. But Matt Lineup was a complete bust. Carl, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I'm trying to go up and down with some of the picks that he oh, says. Oh, Kevin White. David David Terrell. David Terrell. David Terrell. Okay. Yes, David Terrell was a complete bust. If you remember, he was the number, t- number seven pick by the Bears. And we all know that Carl is a Bears fan. So uh, he was an absolute, he was absolute trash for the Bears as well. So there has been so many busts. And I'm looking right. at some of the busts that they have. Vernon Galston, uh, obviously, I'm looking at the bust. Four, number 14, I think he's one of the worst, mm-hmm. one of the worst picks for the New York Jets. Aaron Curry. How about him? I mentioned him earlier. That's the linebacker I mentioned. He was as highly touted as a linebacker as anyone ever got. Ever How about had. Trent Richardson? 
Yep. That's uh, your third overall pick, and if you remember, he was drafted by the Browns, and then he went to Indianapolis, and Indianapolis <laughs> traded two first-round draft picks for uh, arguably one of the best they, running backs they, drafted in, in, in draft history. They, they traded the pick to the Browns that turned into Johnny Manziel, so we know how that trade worked out for both teams. I mean, Trent Richardson and Johnny Manziel, you mentioned that, who I thought was going to be an uh, electrifying quarterback in the NFL, a complete bust, mm-hmm. not only on but off the field, the cocaine accusations, the things that he has done off the field. Uh, he got in trouble with the NCAA um, of signing autographs and, and taking money from uh, distributors. So, un- unfortunately, Johnny Menzel just couldn't uh, – he couldn't even find his way off the NFL field on different fields, if you know what I'm talking right, about. Right, and then he had the domestic violence case later out. Yeah, with his girlfriend. When he was in the CFL, yeah. Yeah, so uh, a complete bust also. And I remember when – um, what's his name again from Alabama, the coach? Um, Nick Saban. Nick Saban said that Johnny Manziel was the best uh, quarterback he's ever played against in college football history. And you're talking about all the different quarterbacks that he played against and guys that are in the NFL now and right. successful quarterbacks. He said, Nick Saban said Johnny Manziel was the best. And look how bad Johnny Manziel turned out to be. And a quarterback so, that beats Alabama is, is in rare company, and he did it twice. Poor, poor Nick Saban, who really was not successful in the NFL. Maybe he should stay in the NCAA. Yep. Anyways, when we come back, we'll be talking to University out of Arizona head baseball coach Jay Johnson here on Below the Mic. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero. As you guys know, this is below the mic. We are live every single Thursday from six p.m. to eight p.m. New York Eastern Time. And remember, guys, if you didn't know, you can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Jillian, Ricky have been very, very aggressive on reaching out to coaches all over college sports, and they they absolutely nailed on this one. We are now talking to University of Arizona head baseball coach Jay Johnson. What's going on? Jay doing great how are you guys doing today we are very very good how are you and your family doing right now with this crazy stuff that's going on in this pandemic yeah thank you we're all good and we're healthy I think uh, we'd all feel better about it if we were playing baseball or you know being able to you know watch some sports the NBA playoffs I think would be going on or being full scale right now so Hopefully we can get back to normal at some point, but in the grand scheme of things, health-wise, we're, we're doing great. So thank you for asking. Absolutely. Well, let's get into some of the some of the information about your team and the Arizona baseball. Tell us a little bit about the growth of Arizona baseball since you've taken over. Uh, they won in 2012, and, and really the growth of the game, especially college baseball. Tell us a little bit about your team and, and the growth of your school. Yeah, Uh Thank you. You mentioned that Arizona had won the national championship in 2012 and then kind of had had three down seasons, uh, 13, 14 and 15. A lot of a lot of things contributed to that. And then after that, I was hired in June of 2015 and going into the 2016 season, we weren't thought very highly of picked to finish 10th out of 11 in the Pac-12 and uh, really got off to a good start. Uh, persevered through the middle of the schedule, got hot at the end of the year, made it to the College World Series and College World World Series Finals, came up short, uh, won a bunch of games the next year and got to a regional and have had a, a good four-year run here. And, and, and we're disappointed, certainly, with uh, 
the pandemic uh, ending the 2020 season early, like a lot of coaches and teams, we felt good about our team and, and thought it was another Omaha caliber type group. Um, but, you know, on the bright side, we had a couple of players drafted to, to New York, actually, in the, in the Major League draft. And uh, we're excited about that and their success and, and where we're headed in the future. Talk about in that 2016 season, when did you feel like this team could do something big and do something surprising? Was it later in the season, early in the season? Was it something that it took one hot streak? When did you start to feel this team could actually make noise in the Pac-12 and in the College World Series? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the fall was interesting in the sense of we were really trying to kind of find ourselves. You know, players get familiar with the coaches, coaches with the players, new program, new system, all of those types of things. And in the fall, wasn't very good, to be honest with you. If I told you I thought that was a, a Omaha caliber team, I would have been lying through my teeth. But then when we came back from Christmas break and we're preparing for the season, you know, there was kind of a, a different feel, confidence, like, hey, maybe we're a little better than we thought. And we, we just focused on the play improving on a daily basis. We had a really tough non-conference schedule and got some really good wins under our belt earlier, early, and then built some confidence, started playing really well at the end of the season. And then once we got to the postseason, and, and none of the players in the program at that point had played in the postseason, it was almost like we were playing with house money and, and played extremely aggressive, you know, won a regional, won a super regional at Mississippi State. And and really played well all the way up until the very end of the, of the College World Series finals and, and fell to a good Coastal Carolina team. But uh, it's a good group and, and built a good foundation that, that we're being able to still build off of right now. We are talking to University of Arizona baseball head coach Jay Johnson. Jay, I've asked a lot of coaches this. When you go in and you're recruiting players, you go into a, a person's house and you're talking to somebody's families. Uh, uh, these families, you're talking to their brothers, their sisters, their aunts, their uncles, and they're all sitting there with the player. How do you sell Arizona, not only the school, the Wildcats, uh, as a baseball team, but the school as a whole? How do you sell that to the player and their families? Yeah, I really view the University of Arizona as a total package place, and we're very fortunate in that regard. You know, if you're in an airport in the United States, whether it's out in New York, uh, Los Angeles, Chicago, if somebody walks through with a, a red shirt with a block A on it, you know that's the University of Arizona. And it has a great uh, tradition of academics, you know, very diverse school, uh, very good in a lot of different fields uh, where people have moved on and, and been successful. And uh, certainly a national brand athletically, when you think about our, our basketball program, Coach Miller does a terrific job, uh, had good stints of success in, in football. Uh, our softball program is, is one of the two or three best in the country and, and baseball, you know, we won four national championships, been to Omaha 17 times and really have been a, a, a training ground for players to achieve their dream of, of playing professional baseball someday. And so it's really, it's really something that when you go into these recruiting meetings, it's almost, uh, it, it's exciting, you know, because you can, you can put some things in front of players and families that are really beneficial for their future that you know they're going to benefit from being a part of our program and university and and be very transparent and true about it. And and we've had good recruiting success, just bringing in another good class uh, coming here in the fall and that we're really excited about. And uh, it's one of those universities that it's, it's easy to work for in that regard. 
a lot of other sports, you see Arizona schools, both your team and Arizona State, your big rival, stealing a lot of recruits also from California and Nevada, especially in football. Do you, kind, do you see that kind of thing going on with baseball where you're seeing a lot of out-of-state recruits wanting to go to, these, uh, go to Arizona? Oh, for sure. And I mean, you just mentioned two areas that are, you know, our primary uh, focus areas, you know, the number of high quality baseball players in the state of California is remarkable. And we wouldn't be doing our jobs effectively if we weren't mining it for talent, if you will. Now, I, what I did when I got to Arizona, and, and actually I believe it was one of the reasons I got hired at Arizona was when you looked at Arizona's best teams, historically, there was a heavy presence from the state of California and particularly Southern California. So we've tried to duplicate that and it's been a good model for us to this point in time. And one we will continue to, you know, you mentioned Las Vegas, you know, I've had a lot of success, you know, recruiting the Las Vegas area, you know, I've recruited some major league players that have played for me at other stops in my coaching career. And uh, you know, we're one of the bigger schools, you know, around the Las Vegas Metro area that is a destination place. So you know, and then in state, you know, there's a lot of great players within the state of Arizona. So you kind of just hit our three, <laughs> our three uh, happy hunting grounds, if you will. So, Coach, uh, we let the fans ask questions. And one of our fans uh, loves to ask questions to some of the different uh, people we've had on the show. Uh, he wanted me to ask you, Carl wanted me to ask you, um, your thoughts on pitchers having to use wet rags for the grip of the ball instead of licking their fingers. What are your thoughts to that? Well, it probably depends on is the pitcher on my team or the opponent's team. Um, <laughs> no, it, uh, hey, man, in college baseball, you know, when you have good pitching, it's that that's your staple. You're going to have a good season if you have a good rotation, good guys at the back end of the game. And, you know, I was a hitter, you know, an undersized second baseman and, and don't know all the tricks of the trade that pitchers use as far as, you know, doctoring up the ball or this or that. But, you know, we like guys that can throw strikes, low strikes, move the ball in and out, change speeds, and and we kind of just focus on that. So I, I, I don't know if I have a comment from Carl there. <laughs> As you guys know, we are talking to University of Arizona head baseball coach Jay Johnson. Talk about the Pac-12 as a whole, just as a conference. We, we know it all the time as the conference of parity. They call themselves the conference of champions. But we see, a lot of, we see a lot of crazy games within other sports, and definitely with baseball too. We've seen a lot of strong schools – Definitely, I would say, among the Power Five conferences, definitely in the top three, and some years is number one. Do you see that kind of thing in baseball where you see these crazy games, road road wins, stuff like that within your programs both year to year and, again, recently? Yeah, for sure. I, I think what you just said, too, is you, there is probably not a sport where home field advantage is as prevalent. And I think part of that has to do with the distance that we travel. I mean, we are for sure – you know, on the southernmost end of the league. And at times we're, you know, flying up to Seattle or Pullman, Washington, and, you know, going to Salt Lake City, Utah, the Bay Area, Oregon, Oregon State, that there's a lot of home field advantages, including ours at High Corbett Field. We've been tremendously successful at home. I think what separates the Pac-12 and baseball, and we are just kind of talking about the geography of where elite baseball players come from. There's so many in our region that everybody – has enough to have a good team and beat you on any given day. And, and you mentioned the word parity. I think it really rings true in baseball. I think, you know, Oregon state's been good, you know, won the national championship in 18. We played for it in 16. 
and won it in 12 and 13 UCLA won it. Um, and we always seem to, once our teams are in the postseason, perform extremely well, you know, Stanford's had a couple good, good years in a row. So you don't look at the schedule and go, that's a win. I can tell you that you have to play well. It's not always the team with the best players, but the team that plays the best that day. And it makes for great competition. And if you ask me what I missed the most about the pandemic, the first thing would be the opportunity to be at the players on a daily basis and help them develop. And then and then second is the competition, just because our league is so good in terms of the quality of coaches and, and players and, and the product that is Pac-12 baseball. Well, Coach, I'm a Yankee fan, okay? And I grew up a Yankee fan, Don Mattingly fan, and I'm trying to scout – different players, especially when you're looking at players that were drafted by the New York Yankees. And there's a particular player that the Yankees drafted in the first round who you coached, Austin Wells, who the Yankees over the years have drafted and found great catchers. Jorge Posada, now they have Gary Sanchez. Tell us a little bit about this kid and why this kid is going to be a star in the MLB. Yeah, yeah good choice <laughs> by the Yankees. Austin is a, a terrific player. Uh, terrific talent. He's one of the best hitters I've ever coached. I would probably put him number two on that list next to Chris Bryant, third baseman for the Chicago Cubs. And Austin special, I think he's he's going to really take advantage of that short right field porch in Yankee Stadium. He hits high level pitching extremely well. He takes professional at bats, has great strike zone discipline. So he's got that unique ability to have a great on base percentage, hit for average because he's got such a quality swing and and drive the ball over the fence. And so I think when that time comes, Yankee fans will be extremely happy to have Austin in the pinstripes. And he's really developed as a catcher as well, really improved as a receiver, a blocker, a thrower. And I think it's exciting because if he continues his uh, ascent as a catcher, then, you know, that'll be his spot. But he's a good enough athlete to play first base, left field, and he's a good enough hitter to play any position on the field. So I think uh, you and all the rest of the, the Bronx Bomber nation will be extremely <laughs> happy once Austin gets to the big league. Well, if he's a better catcher than Gary Sanchez, we'll be very happy, even though I love Gary. I, I love him, and I think they're eventually going to move him to first base. But uh, I, when I heard that the Yankees were going to bring in another catcher, I was researching this guy, and then I, I, I found out that we're talking to you, and you're his coach, and you're the one who scouted this kid before he went o- over there to Arizona. So I wanted to know your opinion. Also, the Yankees drafted Trevor Haver. Uh, is it Haver or Hover? Hover. 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 Tell us a little bit about the second baseman. They drafted at number 99 in the third round. Tell us a little bit about that kid. Yeah, I think the best thing I can say about him is uh, I'm happy we don't have to pitch to him anymore. He's a good hitter. Yeah. Uh, I think between him and Austin, that's that's as too good a left-handed college, you know, professional type hitters as you could add to your organization in, in the top of one draft. I think uh, – Trevor probably got uh, overshadowed a little bit because they had the number one pick overall in, in Spencer Torkelson and went to the Tigers. But great player, great hitter. And uh, I think, like I said, that's two guys that, that Yankee fans uh, should be really, really happy they have in their organization now. You talked about earlier with Chris Bryant. You got to coach him when you were at University of San Diego. What was it like coaching him? And when, when did you tell that he was going to be this major league ready player right away? Because he was drafted early and wasn't really in the minor leagues for long. He made an instant impact. When did you know that this kid was going to be special? 
Yeah, Chris Chris is special through and through. Just like I said about Austin, I mean, he's the complete package in terms of obviously ability, baseball ability, intelligence, character, ability to make adjustments, competitiveness, great teammate. And it, it didn't take very long, like, you know, in, in fall practice. I mean, we obviously saw him in high school and had to work really hard to get him to turn down a big signing bonus out of high school just to get him to college. And we were very fortunate to do that. And uh, there's a couple of times along the way, it's just, he was so consistent. You never looked at it and go like, man, what are we getting out of Chris today? You knew you were going to get five quality at bats. One of them was probably going to go over the fence. One of those at bats was going to change the game. Uh, it was a terrific defender, great base runner. And, and just, like I said, really special human being. So his success hasn't surprised me at all because he's just so consistent on a daily basis as a person. As you guys know, we are now talking to University of Arizona head baseball coach Jay Johnson. Let's get into some MLB conversation because I know you're an MLB fan. You're a coach. You coach baseball all these years. I've had a problem with this whole Houston Astros situation. And I know there's a lot of insight. We've talked to a lot of coaches. They've had their own insight of the game and the cheating that went on with the Houston Astros. Do you have any thoughts right now when you look at the league and Rob Manford, and do you believe that the MLB did the right thing as far as moving forward with this cheating scandal by the Houston Astros? You know, it's hard for me to comment on without really knowing all of the facts. I know at that level, the highest level of major league baseball, that's really frowned upon. I think my take would be, if a team is giving you advantages within the white line, for instance, like the catchers aren't or disguising their signs with a runner on second base when a runner can just look into them or the pitcher's showing you the baseball from the stretch and showing you the grip um, or the catcher is setting up way too early. Like for me, that's on the opponent. Like if you can take advantages from inside the field or the pitching coach isn't changing their sign, whatever, like for me, that's all fair game. You know, that's part of preparation and, and our jobs as coaches to put our players in position to be successful. I just think it goes to a different level when you're adding video technology and things outside the field to create your advantage. I don't think that's correct. I don't think it's fair. And I think they should have been punished for it. So with with the information I have, that that's kind of my thoughts on it. MLB released that it's going to come out with a 60-game season, 60 games in, they think, 70 days or something like that. It's crazy. <laughs> do you th What do you think about that decision? And also, do you think being that it's kind of similar to a college baseball-type setup with the amount of games, could you see some concepts maybe adopted from college baseball to strategize for this amount of games? Yeah, I, I think it all remains to be seen just like every day of our lives – you know, right now waking up with the reality of the coronavirus of is it going to be able to get off the ground, how they're going to handle the off the field stuff and the health of the players. Like, I mean, I think that's just a let's all pray for the best because it's going to be great to have baseball back. I do think you make some interesting points in terms of how the season's actually going to be played. We, we have a 56 game regular season, you know, to try to get to the NCAA tournament. And we present that to our players as we're in a 56 game playoff, like every game really, really matters. And there's there's consequences on every pitch, every inning, every game. And it makes a lot of fun. I think that's why you see a ton of energy played when you watch a college baseball game. I think you'll see more of that in the major leagues. I think you'll see, you know, key relievers maybe coming in 
maybe a little bit early, more of the closer in the eighth inning type thing to get that win that day, you know, better relievers pitching on back-to-back days, um, you know, maybe some more bunting, maybe some more risk-taking relative to, you know, how offenses are called or managed. And I think it's going to be exciting. I really hope they can get it off the ground because I think it, uh, it shows you that every game is really, really going to matter. I think the Nationals got off to a horrendous start last year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they would have been able to recover and make the postseason. So I think opening day urgency will be something that would be really kind of intriguing and fun to watch. And I hope they can all stay healthy and, and we can get to see how it plays out. As you guys know, we are talking to Arizona, Arizona head coach, baseball coach, Jay Johnson, uh, coach, uh, a lot of the fans have been wondering, what are your thoughts to the DH moving to the National League in the near future? Do you like it or do you not like it? It's a good question. You know, I, I'm on both sides of it. I think if I was a manager in the major league, I think it would be fun to manage in the National League because you double switches and, you know, that pitcher spot continually coming up. But I'm also an offensive-minded coach, and it would drive me nuts every time a guy that can't hit is going up to the plate with runners on base. <laughs> so, and, and, and the opportunity to get, you know, a legitimate professional hitter in the lineup, I think is great. I think it's probably going to end up going that way someday. I think it'll probably uh, allow some more position players opportunities to make it to the major leagues, which I also think is a good thing. So... If I had to gun to my head, had to lean on one, I'd say I think the, the DH in the National League is going to be a good thing. I've asked this to other college coaches, especially ones of Power 5 schools. The format of the College World Series, both in baseball and in softball, it's interesting because it's different than other sports where they actually get the home field for the one seed. Are you in favor of that format, or do you think it should be like other sports where a lot of them are played at neutral sites and they – it makes the tournaments very interesting, especially basketball. Do you think they should do that or do you like it the way it is? You know, I'd have to say, I like it the way that it is. It is a tremendous advantage if you can host a regional or a super regional, but you know, we were talking about that 2016 run earlier. And one of the special parts about it is we went on the road as a a two seed to Louisiana and won that regional and then, you know, hopped on a bus and drove over to Mississippi state and won that super regional. And, and playing in those crowds and those environments was really a, an awesome experience, you know, for our players. And I think it would hurt probably the attendance uh, model of the NCAA tournament. So I don't think you'll ever see that where it becomes a, a neutral site thing. And, and I'm kind of a traditionalist. I like the way that it is. If we did anything, I'd like to see us add a few more teams, maybe like the NCAA basketball tournament with a few play in games, you know, wild card, something like that. But uh, I'm a big fan of, of how the NCAA baseball tournaments run. Coach, what are your thoughts of the MLB and possibly college baseball eventually implementing electronic umpires behind the plate? What is your thoughts to that? Well, I don't know who, who I would argue with. It would be pretty hard <laughs> to argue with. The computer, so. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever is best for the game. I, I think it, it, it takes some time getting used to. I mean, I think they need to work out some flaws. I know they used it in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, this fall, I went up and watched a couple of our, our players, former players were playing in that. And, you know, there's there's some flaws to it. I mean, there's a few strikes that are called that are not strikes that I think as long as they get those figured out, I, I think it might be an okay thing. 
and um, you know might clean some things up. But I just want to make sure they would make sure that they have it right before we roll it out because I still think it's got some work to do. You're one of the first baseball coaches we have interviewed that has said that they wouldn't mind it. I mean, most of them said it, it ruins the integrity of the game. You'd expect it. You know, the umpires, it's been around for years and nothing. It's not the same without the umpire behind the plate, uh, the arguing it's part of the game. And a lot of people, a lot of the coaches that we've interviewed have absolutely hate it, but I'm very yeah. surprised that you, you wouldn't mind it. Well, you know what? I, I will say, and, and this, I'm speaking for the PAC 12. We have, actually have a very good group of umpires and as i kind of think through it you know those guys having jobs is is important i think maybe if everybody is going to go to it and we are going to do it if that decision is uh, going to be made it just needs to be it needs to be done right you know mm-hmm. other than that I, i'm i guess i would say I, I fall on that side of it where i'm more of a traditionalist uh with that as well right. but like i said some some umpires would probably like to not have to listen to us head coaches complain and whine about their strike zones from time to time. Uh, In terms of the transfer portal that's taken over other college sports, we've seen it especially in basketball after their tournament was canceled, both on the men's and women's side. There's a decision on if it's going to come into baseball, instant eligibility for these transfer students. Are you in favor of that kind of system or do you think they should have to sit out a year like they always have? You know, I think I'm on both sides of this. I think the first thing I would say is every situation is different. And right now we're in such a unique time with the coronavirus and and really what that's meant for college baseball and rosters. And then the MLB draft was only five rounds. I think there's a lot of situations right now that would need to be looked at carefully and, you know, judged, you know, and that's what the NCAA is there for, to make determinations on this type of thing. So I think right now uh, having some flexibility is not necessarily a bad thing. However, um, I think it's a good rule in concept the way we have it now where a player should have to sit out a year. And the reason being is, you know, it's not always going to go perfect for players or, or coaches. You know, we bring guys in and maybe they're not what we thought they would be or would want them to be. And, and, you know, vice versa for the player. And I think persevering, you know, the player persevering through some difficulty uh, is important in terms of developing their character. And I also think it also prevents kind of the, this Wild West format. I mean, I coach third base for our team, and I wouldn't do this. But, <laughs> I mean, I, what if, you know, you like the third baseman on the other team, you know, and you strike up a conversation, he just goes, oh, that guy's pretty cool. I'd love to play for him and he's complaining about something of his current situation. I just don't think I really love the dynamic of it. If I was to be completely honest with you, but this year, I think it's, I think it's a unique time and I think it needs to be looked at hard of, you know, what's best for the player, probably first and foremost. As you guys know, we are talking to university, Arizona head baseball coach, Jay Johnson. Jay, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media? If they want to reach out, there's a lot of fans that follow our show that have some insight of some players that you might be interested in possibly uh, recruiting. So uh, how do, how could they reach you on social media? I think um, you have to forgive me. I think my tag on Twitter is UA coach J. <laughs> and uh, if there are, you know, left-handed pitchers that are 94 with three pitches <laughs> and have a nasty attitude to win and, 
fast left-handed guys that can hit the ball in the gaps and really run and occasionally hit it over the fence and really good short stops that they know about the university of Arizona is a great place. (laughs) Well, that would be a lot of people coach. (laughs) Not, not left-handed power pitchers because they're very hard to find, Mm -hmm. but, uh, uh, definitely when, when we look at some of the, uh, some of the great young players that have come into the league over the years, and we look at coaches like you who uh, have recruited guys like Chris Bryant and, and all the different, uh, players you've recruited over the years, you have an understanding on how to scout and how to recruit. So we could definitely, uh, respect somebody from your end of the, uh, you know, the, the other side of the baseball. So uh, I re- we really appreciate you joining us coach. And we'd hope to get you back on when the season starts and talk a little bit about Arizona baseball. Would love to do it anytime. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you, Coach. As you guys know, that was Jay Johnson. A great, great interview. Mm-hmm. Gave us some good insight of, of thought, not only about his team, but some of the players that were drafted, a.k.a. the Yankees. Austin Wells, who was drafted mm-hmm. in the first round, a player that he thinks is going to be a star in the league. Uh, comparing his, his style of hitting to Chris Bryant. Yeah. And if he's anywhere close to Chris Bryant... The Yankees got a superstar that hitter. Be, that would be something special, especially at the catcher position, if they could get anything like that. It's it's incredible. Anyways, when we come back, we're going to get it some, into – what was the subject you wanted to get uh, into? The other one was, is are sports becoming more positionless and versatile? Great, great topic. We will be talking about that when we come back here on Below the Mic. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero is the number. As you guys know, remember, you can always follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. I want to give a shout out to our two new shows that are incredible, incredible shows. If you guys haven't, stay tuned to actually listen to their shows. Definitely check them, check our our uh, list of shows that are on our website and our app. All you have to do, The Big Guy Sports Show is a great show by Jim Lambruno. Uh, a great, great show. And also The Sport Hit List, which is a new show that will be, w- w- which has been airing mm-hmm. on Wednesdays at 4 p.m., right? Yes, 4 to so, 5. 4 to 5. So mm-hmm. definitely check out their shows. They're great on our network. We have more shows to come. Uh, we have a wrestling show that's going to be airing um, this week on Saturday. Uh, with If you guys don't know, if you guys know wrestling, Off the Mat which is going to be a great, great show with uh, uh, Charlie Slow's son, Alex Slow, and Josh, yes, our great friend Josh, who's absolutely a fantastic analytic uh, sports analyst who absolutely loves his wrestling. So stay tuned for that. So we're going to get into now the sport. Are sports becoming more versatile as a whole and, p- and possibly positionless? So what are, what are your thoughts to that? With players now that can play three positions in baseball all the time, especially with basketball now, you're seeing LeBron line up at point guard. What are your thoughts to that? Well, it's it's an interesting conversation because when you look at professional sports and the way it's transitioned, in the 90s in basketball, it was a big man's league. And it's trans... It's slowly but surely changed to a point guard position league because of the three-point shot. You're looking at Steph Curry, Kyrie Irvin, uh, Chris Paul. All these point guards that can shoot the three are very good on around the perimeter. The game has transitioned into that style of game. Now, when you look at the sport of the NBA, now it's become a small man's 
game. You're talking about where you don't need a big man anymore. And if the big man is a big man, you see some of the big man playing the power power forward position or the small forward position because they're so athletic. So the game has changed because of the way these athletes athletes have developed in the game of basketball. In football, you're looking at the game. You, you see linebackers playing defensive end. Uh, we've seen defensive end um playing the nose tackle position. We've seen safeties play the corner position. Corners play the safety position. Also, safeties play the linebacker position, depending on their size and their speed. Uh, The quarterback, we've seen quarterbacks transition into the wide receiving position Hmm. or uh, been uh, really, you know, changed to the cornerback position. We've seen, and why, you know, it's just the game has changed and the sports have changed. And in, in the NHL, uh, we've seen offensive players become defensive players, and we have not seen a goaltender turn into an offensive player. Right. We have never seen that before. But we've also seen goaltenders score goals. Uh, Martin Brodeur, uh, over the years, he scored, I think, two or three goals. I think he scored three goals, yeah. You know, so uh, the game has changed. It, it absolutely has changed in all professional sports. So do I look at the sports and the way it's developed and the development of the game and the speed of the game? Uh, are we going to see transitions uh, as we move forward in the sports? Absolutely. The game has absolutely changed. So, yes, it has become a positionless uh, game in, yeah. in, in, in multiple sports, even in baseball. Yeah, and I think the other thing you got to look at, too, is basketball, we'll see if the phase lasts because, again, this is a three-point shooting league now where now you're having big men that could pass so they could facilitate the guards to shoot threes and even you got big men shooting threes. We'll see if that phase lasts. But definitely with football, I could definitely see that trend continuing. The other thing you're seeing a lot is different positions lining up in the backfield, whether it's receivers, tight ends. You were talking about quarterbacks playing receiver a lot yeah. of the time. You're going to see Julian that. A, you're going to see that a lot as offenses get more creative. You see now these RPO offenses, these motion offenses. That's the sport I could definitely see the trend continuing in. And for baseball, now you're seeing a lot of guys that could play multiple positions. Now, do they play them all well? Is another question. You don't see a guy that's great defensively at maybe four different positions, but he'll be great at one and maybe good at some others. And that you're definitely seeing that. And again, as rosters become deeper, that's what we're seeing now. Guys like to GMs like to stash their players away and try to find spots for them. If they have the talent, they'll adjust and have those guys play the position. You were talking about with Jay, could Gary Sanchez move to first base? Something like that. That's a more conventional one, but we've seen definitely some other cases where you have <clears throat> shortstops moving to center field. We've seen pitchers move to the outfield. Yeah, Joe Madden invented that in, uh, with the Cubs when he went there. <laughs> he double-switched two, two different pitchers in one game in the, the outfield. The transition <laughs> of all these professional sports games are going to be unique moving forward. We're talking about electronic umpires coming into the game and really the transition of the game, the athletic part of the game when these athletes are much more athletic than they were in the nineties and they can do more things. They can jump higher. They move faster. You got guys like LeBron James, who's 260 pounds of brute muscle that can jump like a deer and can do things that we've never seen an athlete do, but you know, has done before in the game of uh, basketball. And then you look at professional football and some of these corners, and what they can do, how how they're five foot ten and have a vertical leap of forty. I mean, it's just it's incredible what these athletes can do now in the game. So 
you can transition these guys into different positions. And you've seen defensive coordinators do it. We've seen offensive coordinators do it. How about offensive linemen we've seen uh, become tight ends? Right. I mean, we've mm-hmm. seen this. And we've seen smaller offensive linemen succeed more, too. Usually it was the in the late 80s, early 90s, it was all about the big bulky guys, the, the big mauling, blocking types. But now it's more about technique guys. You're seeing guys under 300 pounds be good offensive linemen in certain systems. So it's definitely changing. And the other thing with small smaller athletes you're seeing too and I think it's more like the Darren Sproles effect you're seeing a lot of quicker smaller receivers and running backs too which is again not only Darren Sproles but I think a lot of his influence being how versatile he was in his career is making a difference on the way the game is too and it's getting smaller to an extent because they prioritize speed and and also when we talk about position and position of play you're looking at the game and, and the, tra- the transition of some of these positions the middle linebacker to the outside linebacker what are they what does that entail? The safety position. What does that entail now in a defensive style of game in a 4-3 or 3-4 defense? I mean, the game is completely transitioned. It's not like it was when Buddy was running the defensive style of game with the Bears. I mean, and we're talking about Buddy Ryan. And you, you look at Rex Ryan's, his style of defense was completely, uh, even though it was a blitz package, he used different blitz right. packages that his father didn't use. Bringing up safeties, bringing up corners, using two corners to maneuver into the safety positions while you bring up the safeties. I mean, the game has transitioned. We've seen Bill Belichick transition position to, you know, these players at a different position. You have to have multiple positions if he's going to draft you. Right. He'll draft them at a tight end and then they'll play him at offensive line or something like that. It's incredible what some of these coaches design and the game has transitioned completely differently. And that's why when you watch football, you watch basketball, you watch hockey, you watch baseball, and and you see the growth of some of these managers, these coaches, and and the way they develop some of the styles of the games and how they call their plays at the line of scrimmage for the quarterback to see the defensive style of game on where they're going to bring in the blitz and how they're going to bring in the blitz or the audible plays from the quarterbacks at the position on what the, uh, the coaches are calling at the line of scrimmage. So it's completely different than it was when we were kids, when I was a kid, when I watched the game when I was a child. So, yes, I think it's positionless. And I think when you look at the transition of the game, it's going to grow astronomically because of the way the game has transitioned for these coaches, for these players. Carl, you commented on Facebook, Devin Bush is a middle linebacker and he's small. You're right. That never would have happened in probably five years ago, six years ago. And definitely when Errol was mentioning before that, because they prioritized bulky guys, zone coverage. Everyone had to be Ray Lewis. Everyone had to be Brian Erlacher. Now you're not seeing that as much anymore. Now you're seeing more speed types. And even a lot of the top ones, guys like Deion Jones, Jalen Smith, they're all speed types now. Bobby Wagner, speed type. He means a good physical guy too, but you're seeing a lot of that. And you would never see that five, six years ago. You would have thought of Devin Bush as maybe that hybrid type of player that was only used in certain sets. And that's why when you look at the game and the transition of the game and you kind of question where the NFL is going and and how they're going to bring the offsides in or getting rid of the offsides and how they're going to implement different styles of positions from the draft and how you're going to draft these positions or where you're going to draft in the first, second, and third, and fourth round. I think it's going to be completely different, and you're going to see a lot of a lot of players that could have been drafted or should have been drafted in the right. first round mm-hmm. be drafted in the second and third round like we saw this year in a virtual draft. The game has changed. The speed of the game has changed, and you're going to see transitions like you've seen from the Jordan era to the LeBron era and the Kobe era, and then you've seen the difference between the NFL from the Revis era or the Deion Sanders era to now the era of um, um, a Sherman 
You know what I mean? It's a completely different style of game. Some corners are now more uh, eager to intercept the ball than play the position the way you should be, hovering over the wide receiver and landing on the wide receiver. Make the, the, the drastic move where you can position yourself to, to do, the, do the things that you're supposed to do on the fail, field. Right. So it's completely different. The speed of the game is completely different. So, yes, I do think that the game is going to become a positionless game in the NFL, the MLB, and the NHL, and the NBA. Last comment before we go to break, because we have to get Antoine Harris on, but the other thing I'm curious on, too, is how, especially offensively in the NFL, how that's going to impact formations. How many illegal formation calls do we get, or illegal shift calls because guys aren't in the right place, or guys supposed to be here, or this receiver is <clears throat> supposed to cover up another receiver? If, they're, if they do evolve like that, where they have all these versatile, hybrid-type players, especially offensive skill players, will that affect the rules of the game, too, and, and what that'll bring? That's all up to the coach. And now you see the everybody's trying to be the next Bill Belichick, or everybody's going to try to be the next Bill. Uh, I mean, the Greg Popovich, or or the Scotty Bowman. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's trying to be unique and different. What changes the game and the transition of the game that moves you ahead of everybody else, where you have one step over on all the other coaches, all the other teams. That you're going to have to play year in and year out. So yes, I do believe that it's a positionless game, and it, it's going to transition even more positionless because now you're seeing quarterbacks play different positions mm-hmm. and they can do different things on the field like a Russell Wilson where it, it changes the game completely. Taste some hell. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Uh, up next, we will be talking to former Falcons and Titan safety Antoine Harris here on Below the Mic. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Six three one nine six five four nine nine zero is the number to call. This is Below the Mic. We are live every single Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. New York Eastern Time. And remember, if you don't dial us up, well, go to our website. Go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. I'd like to thank Jay Johnson, the coach of the Arizona uh, Wildcats, for joining us. And we have our second guest. I was looking forward to interviewing this guy, former NFL player. We are now talking to Falcons and tight ends, former safety, Antoine Harris. What's going on, Antoine? Not much. How are you guys doing? We are good, my friend. How are you and your family doing with uh, with this pandemic? Uh, you know, it's, it's it's bad considering what's going on. But for the most part, I'm here with my family and, uh, you know, we're healthy, so no complaints. Well, guess what? We're actually doing this show right now under my desk. We're hiding from the coronavirus right now, the COVID-19 virus. So don't worry. Uh, we are safe here in New York under my desk. I'm glad to hear that. Just If I hear a little echo, I understand why. <laughs> <laughs> so, Antoine, tell us a little bit about your career. You played for two very good organizations with the Falcons and the Titans. Tell us a little bit about the organizations, the different coaches that you played under, and the growth of your talent over the years. Well, I have to start, obviously, by giving a big shout-out to the University of Louisville, where I uh, got a degree in communications and um, – I started my career. I actually didn't start playing football until I was a junior in high school um, and got a little buzz in Columbus, Ohio. So I got an opportunity to play uh, on a full scholarship at the University of Louisville under John L. Smith. And then after my first two seasons as a receiver, uh, Bobby Petrino came in. And so when Bobby Petrino came in, uh, we had a guy uh, get kicked off the team and I ended up switching over to DB. And with the guidance of Joe Witt Jr. Um, as my DB coach, he kind of helped me play DB and got me a shot in the NFL. 
where I became an undrafted free agent to um, the Tennessee Titans. Did you follow? That was a pretty cool experience. Did you follow Bobby Petrino to Atlanta? Was that like coincidentally the same year? I'm just curious. Yeah, that see, that's why I kind of preface my uh, my explanation by saying something about that because he was the reason that I left Tennessee and came to Atlanta. Because oh. when he got to a job, he got the job in the Atlanta um, with the Atlanta Falcons. He he asked me if I wanted to come out and play, and you know I wasn't playing as much as I wanted to in Tennessee, so I left and went to Atlanta. Yeah, and you actually went to an Atlanta team that had a lot of good defensive players on that 2007 and 2008 team. You got guys like Keith Brooking, D'Angelo Hall, who was a good corner at that time. John Abraham was one of the best pass rushers this generation. Don't even get me started about John Abraham with the Jets. (laughs) Don't get me started. Don't get me started about John Abraham. What was it like playing with that defense? And also, again, what were they like as teammates? We... I was fortunate enough, like, well, going back to Tennessee, when I was in Tennessee, it was pretty cool because we had uh, McNair there, and um, then my second year, Vince Young came in. But um, So I got to be around some veterans. So then when I got to Atlanta, um, we had a few veterans on the team, and so so I kind of fit right in because I kind of understood the type of things that they, they wanted to see out there on the practice field and, you know, how hard they went in the games because it was kind of a different type of football back then. Um, and being here with guys like D'Angelo Hall and John Abraham, Keith Brooking, I mean, we even had uh, Lori Malloy at one point, and seeing those guys and how they worked and how they saw the game, it kind of helped me a lot as a player, and it helped me develop. We are talking to former Falcons and Titan safety Antoine Harris. Now, Antoine, you were talking about Louisville, so let's talk about Makai Becton, who was drafted by the New York Jets. Uh, this is one of the best uh, line. I'm, I'm sorry, linemen that were drafted in this year's draft. And people want to know a little bit about this kid. He's big. He's strong. Six foot eight. Athletic ability. Runs like uh, runs like the wind. I mean, five seconds, almost five seconds flat. At a, as an offensive lineman weighing 364 pounds, who was almost 400 pounds when he when he came to Louisville. Tell us a little bit about this kid. Well, this kid, I've I've gone to a few games back in Louisville and. Uh, this kid is good, man. I mean, it kind of goes back to what you guys were saying earlier as far as, you know, people kind of being positionless. And I think it goes back to kids nowadays, they're getting trained so early. Whereas back in our days, you know, when we played and we were getting trained, it was pretty much go outside and play with your friends, and that's how you got trained. But I see kids getting trained as as young as five years old. And, I mean, you, you have no choice but to be a beast by the time you get to college, not to mention the natural size and shape that you're going to put on as a human being. And, I mean, this kid, he's, he's, uh, he's something to watch. One of, the, one of the other recent success stories from Louisville is Lamar Jackson. He won an MVP last year, has had two really one-and-a-half great seasons so far with the Ravens. Hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs yet, but has proven a lot of doubters, including myself, wrong. What have you seen from him in his small stint so far in the NFL as a quarterback? Well, I mean, I kind of I saw this uh, when they were bringing him into the University of Louisville, and so I, I expected him to be a talent. I didn't know he was going to be this great. Um, you know, what he's done in the NFL – you know how it goes when you're in the NFL. It takes some years to, to kind of solidify yourself and show that you are uh, one of the best for the future. And I think he's done, in his short time, he's done a whole lot to show that he's going to be one of the good ones moving forward as long as he can stay healthy. Uh, he's such a competitor. He's such a, a freak athlete. He, he's, some, he's somebody that, I mean, you have, to, you have to scout for even games ahead. You have to think about you're going to be playing Lamar soon. And, you know, that's, that's a kid that he deserves. He deserves everything he's getting right now. I see they got him on the Madden cover. I think that's awesome. 
Um, he's going to show that that man curse is BS. <laughs> uh, I think he's going to have a really good season this year. Oh, man. Well, I wanted to get into this because this guy is making news not only here in New York, but all over the NFL markets, okay? That's Jamal Adams, who is going to – who really – I have a lot of respect for his talent. He's one of the best safeties in the league. He's proven himself as an all-pro player. But what bothers me about this kid is, is that he is demanding from the New York Jets for them to give him a $100 million contract, and he deserves it now when he is still under contract in his rookie contract for almost for the next two years, possibly franchise for a third year. What is your thoughts with uh, some of these players like Jamal Adams that declares and demands the money from some of these teams where they shouldn't be demanding it? Well, um, you know, a lot of times you you um, you don't like to speak on things unless you've been in that situation. Of but course. For me, um, I was an undrafted free agent, so I had to scrap and fight for everything I got every single season. You know, come cut time, I'm, like, scared to answer my phone. <laughs> but I spent six years dealing with that. And so when a guy is playing well and getting paid, um, you know, being in the NFL and seeing the business side of it and knowing that guys can get cut at any time and if a team feels a certain way about them, they can trade them at any time, I'm I'm not really mad at guys that want to go out and get their money while they can. Mm-hmm. I mean, this game is so short-lived. I've had injuries that, you know, wasn't like a, a bruised ankle or, you know, some little injury. It was like – a devastating injury that put me out, whether it be a Liz Frank or like a menis- or a MCL, PCL, something like that. And so it only takes one play. I mean, it only takes – I had a couple non-contact injuries. And so for me, I think guys should go out and get as much money as they can, and especially in this day and age where, you know, you have social media and whatnot that can kind of – you can market yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's out there for you to get, I figure why not ask? A closed mouth doesn't get fed. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Antoine, in terms of the current shift of what we're seeing with a lot of different players, including Jamal Adams, do you think the NFL is ever going to be able to shift into a, a player-run league? I know Todd Gurley was the one first quoted, why are these NBA players getting these big contracts and we're not getting anything? Could you see that kind of transformation with these players going, or do you think there's just still too much other factors to f- factor in with football? You know, I, as a as a former player um, and looking at guys and, and seeing how my body feels now and how, you know, I have constant headaches and I have issues myself, I feel like that guys should get paid a lot more. But in that same breath, I mean, you have, you have these things that, like I said, these injuries. You can get injured on any given play. And a lot of these injuries aren't just uh, regular injuries. They're like serious injuries that affect you long term. And so um, – it's kind of hard to justify paying somebody so much money knowing that they could be hurt on any given play. But at the same time, you know, these guys go out here and put their lives on the line. And, you know, for somebody like me who was a special teams guy who I'm like a kamikaze, you know, I want to go out there and be paid for what I'm doing. And so if you got a guy like Jamal Adams and, you know, these other guys that are making big money and making big money for these organizations and these owners, they have the money. Why not pay them? Mm. We are talking to former Falcons and Titan safety Antoine Harris. 
Antoine, uh, I've watched uh, great safeties over the years. You played against these safeties, Ed Reed being one of them. We're working on getting him on the show. And Troy Palomalo. When you look at the transition of the game and the safety position from what it was then and what it is now, what is the different, uh, different, part, different styles and different parts of the game and the transition from then to now? I feel like the two guys that you named, they could still play in this day and age if they, you know, were physically able as far as their body would let them do it because those are the type of guys that um, kind of run the NFL now. Guys who you can just kind of throw in the secondary and they can play pretty much any position and they they go get the ball. You know, ball hawks have always gotten paid in the NFL from Deion Sanders to Ed Reed to, you know, um, and you can name a million of them. Mm-hmm. But Going to get the ball is what gets you paid. So as far as, you know, athletes go and safeties and corners, as, as uh, the more you can do, I feel like the more money you can make. So if these guys can get thrown in that corner, get thrown in that safety, a safety goes down, a corner can go back to safety. I mean, I think that is the future of the game, and I think the game is so fast now, and these kids are so big and fast and long now. They're not you know, short, stocky guys like it used to be before and, like, these guys that put all their pads in. Now it's, like, fast, physical track guys that are just freaks of nature. When you were playing, what was your favorite part of playing a very versatile safety position? Did you have a favorite point of emphasis when you played either with the Titans or with Atlanta? Um, most of my, my major playing time was with the Titans and, I mean, with the Falcons. And uh, for me, I like... I just like to be on the field with somebody like D'Angelo Hall who was like, listen, I'm going to lock this guy down. I know we're supposed to be in cover two, that I'm taking him. You go help this guy over here. So when you play with guys who understand the game, like Asante Samuels, when you watch guys like that play, I mean, you can't help but have fun out there playing the game. When you played the game, what quarterback and, and, and what quarterback gave you the most problems and what wide receiver coming inside and out, coming inside into into the middle of the field, gave you the most problems in the middle of the field? Uh, really guys who can take the top off the defense um, gave the most problems. I mean, we played, you know, the Tom Brady's and Randy Mosses of the of the world and uh, obviously that was like um <laughs> That was that was something to behold because you know Tom Brady's just he's he's so schematic and then Randy Moss is just he's a freaking nature so um, that was crazy to play against him but I have to to give a lot of props my 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 era was a lot of good receivers but Chad Ochocinco was by far one of the funnest to play against and one of the funnest to uh, watch play because he he even sent us all books in the DB room like signed a book that says you can't guard me. And he like autographed them individually to each of us, and the week before we played them, and then, and we had D'Angelo Hall, so that turned into a pretty uh, funny battle. It's that game. it's funny you bring up Chad Ochocinco because when I was in Miami about I think it was four years ago, he was running on the boardwalk, and I was sitting there, I was having my my weedo, whatever the heck it was, and I'm sitting there, and he's coming right in there, he's going to the bathroom, and he sits down for a second, and I sit. I, I get up and I say, that's Chad. I'm going to go sit with him. And I talked to him and, and I, I spoke maybe five minutes with him and he had me dying laughing. I mean, story, Hilarious. story after story after story. For five minutes, he's telling me stories. And I'm sitting there, I'm listening. I'm, Could I interview you? Could I? And he was like to me, he's like, I'm not, I'm not in for the interviews right now. But you're giving me an interview right now. I'm not even asking you the questions. I mean, he's, right. he's unbelievable. He really is. He could tell a story. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a fun guy. I don't uh, know him personally. I just know him from football, and I've seen him around, and we've been in uh, the same rooms a couple times. But uh, now that I'm in Florida, hopefully I run into him a few times because he is comedy. Go to Miami and just hang out on the boardwalk. You'll see him there. He is there every single day, I promise you. Every single day he see him running back and forth on the boardwalk. So, uh, he... Yeah, I wonder how much he's doing that now with COVID going on. <laughs> Knowing him, he's, he's wearing a mask. <laughs> wearing his T.O. impersonation uh, mask. <laughs> oh, right, right. That, that was another. That was another good one right there, man. T.O. He's a he's a beast. There's some guys who are just um, just grown men out there, and and he's one of them. Oh, he was unbelievable. I loved him on Eagles. I loved him on San Francisco. But when he went to Dallas, forget about it. So, <laughs> I was done. I was done with him. I, was, I, I love him, but I was done with him. When he went to Dallas, I, I was done. I mean, from when he was on Philadelphia, you go into the middle of the star and, and practically mock the Dallas fan, and then all of a sudden go and play for Dallas, uh, it was a joke, an absolute joke. So, so that's, what, that's what it took to make you jump off the T.O. bag? Well, I love T.O. I still love T.O. I'm trying to get him on the show. He actually read my message. I'm just trying to get him on the show, but he's – uh, he's been a little bit uh, back and forth banter. I don't think he wants to talk about the Hall of Fame thing. I think he was wrongly um, wrongly misjudged as a player. This guy is one of the top three wide receivers of all time. Go look at his numbers. There is There, there might be two, maybe Jerry Rice and uh, Brown that was a better wide receiver than he was. I mean, uh, there was not many wide receivers as good as him. I'm glad you guys recognize that because he, I mean, he, he worked hard too. I mean, he might have done a lot of things uh, just to, to – to entertain and whatnot, but when you get on that field in between those lines, I mean, he's he's one of the best. Uh, the NFL did did him wrong, and that's why he didn't show up to the NFL uh, Hall of Fame uh, nomination, ceremony. yeah, ceremony. So, unfortunately, and I, and I think things like that. I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I think I think things like that are more of reasons why I can't be mad at Jamal Adams for you know wanting to get more money mm-hmm. at this time, like right now. Because if they can, they'll do you dirty, you know. And, and so if you get the, the opportunity to go out there and try to get more to secure your, your life and for your family, then, you know, why not? Good point. I, I, I never even looked at it. And that, you see what you do for me, Antoine? You gave me a, a, a resolution of where Jamal Adams is going here. I mean, hopefully the Jets give him the contract that he wants. I, I don't know where it's going, but it's really annoying to me. We're, yeah, it, it is annoying, and it's tough because it, 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 it's a distraction for the team. And, you know, a lot of times teams say that it's not a distraction, but, you know, when a guy stops showing up or, you you know, any little thing that happens, you start to question whether it's about the contract or not, and that's just a distraction overall. So we were talking about individuals for quite a while. How about team offenses? What was the toughest team offense you've ever faced in your career? Uh, Personally, I'd have to say – I have to say that Patriots team. I mean, we went to New England, and um, you know, we also when we played Arizona Cardinals, we played them out in Arizona when they had Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolton, and um, that was right before they were about to go to the playoffs. And that was a and Kurt Warner, yeah, that was a that was a crazy team right there as well. They were really good. That is that's interesting because I remember those teams. Antoine Bolden, who people forget, he is yeah. another underrated wide receiver. Larry Fitzgerald is a Hall of Famer. We all know what Larry Fitzgerald is sure. one of one of the greatest hands we've ever seen. Uh, guy never dropped the ball, but Antoine Bolden, everywhere he went, he changed those teams. He changed those offense. Remember when he went to Baltimore? He was huge in that postseason. Yep. Yeah. 
I, I don't think anybody yeah. gives him the credit that he deserves as a player. I think I think the players I think the players do, and then he has like a cult following or whatever. But for the most part, Anquan Bolton, the guy everybody knows that he's a beast. Oh, absolutely. In in terms of the safety position, Errol was talking about it earlier, uh, the versatility of the safety position now. Could you see that even more transformations made to the safety position than even what you're seeing now? And if so, what would they be? Uh, I'm to be honest, I don't know, man. This thing is changing so fast, and I just think guys may get bigger, bigger and stronger. I mean, that's that's really the only thing I can see: bigger, stronger, and faster. And I mean, I can only I can't I can't imagine what that's going to look like. I mean, everybody's going to be out there looking like Sean Taylor, um, you know, God rest his soul. But yeah. coming downhill, but still running back, picking off the ball sixty yards down the field. So like, uh, it's 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 only going to get better because this is an offensive league. So defensive guys are going to have to get longer, faster, stronger, and in order to make plays. You know, it's crazy because you brought up Sean Taylor, and I have mentioned him many, many times on this show that I think a lot of the kids and a lot of people that don't know who he is, this guy is one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game. Unfortunately, he had a short stint in the NFL because he passed away. Um, I believe that the NFL has to look at him for what he was in the NFL. He should be inducted into the Hall of Fame, how great he was and how he transitioned the game and the position at the safety position. I. I'm not really sure like what they go by as far as uh, how to get people in the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm not sure of all the checklists that they have, but he he is definitely one of the most memorable safeties that has ever played in this game. And and in his you know short time um, due to being killed, it he's made such an impact on so many people. I mean, from the college level all the way through the pros. And I think his game, like I said, his game is one of those that's timeless, kind of like Ed Reed and uh, Palomalu and guys like that. We actually had one on one of your teammates in Atlanta on about a month ago in Von Hutchins. And he was talking about a story that he, he mentioned you in it uh, about Brent Grimes and s- some crazy stories with him. That <laughs> yeah, was a funny story. <laughs> that was. Oh, it yeah. was. Well, what was it like from your perspective encountering him when he was a young player and all the crazy things he did? <laughs> Well, uh, Brent Grimes, he was my he was actually my roommate uh, when I was mm. with the Falcons. My first year, he was uh, my first and second year, actually, he was my roommate. Um, so to us, this was just grimy being grimy because we called him grimy, and that was just him being him as far as making crazy plays or jumping like five feet in the air, easy, reaching up, grabbing the ball. Like when we played uh, the Saints, and he jumped up and picked Drew Brees' ball, and he was in uh, cover two and Drew Brees was trying to throw it over him to get to that corner on behind him, and he jumped up, and he jumped so high, he didn't even know where the ground was, so like his feet missed the ground, and he just fell. He's 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 made some plays in practice that would probably be, you know, would win an ESPY. Um, he's one of, I'm, I'm serious, he's one of, if not the most athletic corners that I've ever seen play the game, um, and that's, that's, that's just 100% honest. And, you know, we haven't talked in a while, but it's just, I just give credit where credit's due, and he is an absolute freak of nature. I mean, he's got 100-pound kettlebells doing single-leg squats oh um, up and then, like, releasing it and jumping up onto a box. It's just unbelievable. Uh, he's, he's, he's a freak of nature. Oh, Quincy Anumwa, if you ever watched Quincy Anumwa on uh, YouTube, uh, on the, the box jumping and what he has done, uh, it's yeah. incredible. It's, some of these athletes, some of these football players are absolutely – Unbelievable! How about the guy, the defensive lineman that jumped out of the pool? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, 
jumped out of the pool and landed on the side. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was pretty incredible. I mean, I I'd be scared. I'd bust all my teeth out sometimes <laughs> or anything like that. Even in my even in my prime, let alone now, I wouldn't even jump. I wouldn't even jump up onto a step now, let alone out of the pool. We are talking to former Falcons and Titans, and by the way, Philadelphia Eagles safety, Antoine Harris. Antoine, my partner on our upcoming show on 103.9 FM dial here in Long Island is Eric Coleman. And I know you know who he is. Uh, Eric and me have become very good friends in the last couple of months, and uh, we're going to be July 11th, doing a show together out here. He's, he's really excited. I'm very excited to work with him. Tell us a little bit about him and his communication as a safety in the league. And you played with him. So why don't you tell us a little I, bit about I Eric did. Coleman? I did. EC was uh, – he's, he's, he's a great dude. He's a great dude. Um, his family is great. He's just – he's awesome all around. Um, this is another guy who kind of helped me when he got to Atlanta. Because, um, like I said, I'm, I was kind of a raw talent. I – like I said, started my junior year in high school, and then when I was at Louisville, I switched sides of the ball. So I kind of came into the NFL as an athlete. And uh, when I got to Atlanta and then EC came into Atlanta, he, with his knowledge of the game and his communication on the field and his communication off the field and his leadership, I mean, it was absolutely second to none. And it's it's why he's one of my good friends to this day, and we, we stay in contact, like I said, to this day. And um, – you know, I really appreciate everything that EC brought to the locker room, brought to the team, he brought to the atmosphere on the field. And then, like I said, his communication out there, it kind of makes you feel like you don't have to second guess or you don't have to think because he's going to either put you in the right spot or let you know that you are doing the right thing. And then, you know, you can play, you can play fast from there. Is there any safety, one, when you played, and two, playing now that you consider underrated and, and don't get enough credit uh, by the national media and the NFL media? Uh, guys that I play with. I mean, I feel like a lot of guys, you know, like I said, especially nowadays uh, with social media, you kind of can get the shine that you need to get. Um, back when I played, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, no, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who didn't really get enough credit. <laughs> he had some – I played with some pretty good guys. Lawyer Malloy, he got the credit he deserved. Mm-hmm. He, was a, he was a beast back there, and we knew he was a headbanger. We know we could always depend on Lawyer no matter what. Um, who else did I play with? I played with Quentin Michael. He was nice. He was really nice back there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think guys kind of get the, the credit they deserve unless I'm, I'm forgetting somebody off the top of my head. My memory's pretty bad, but uh, I think guys get the credit they deserve. Um, there's there's some free agent guys, just like you said about Brent Grimes. He was an undrafted free agent. He was on right. practice squad for a couple of years. So was I. I mean, I I played in the league for six years, and you know, uh, a lot of the best guys that I've seen and the most athletic guys were on practice squad. And you'd be surprised, and I'm sure you can go from team to team and you can pick out a couple gems from practice squad that would probably stay on your team and be pretty successful for for years. We are talking to former Falcons, Titans, and Philadelphia safety, Antoine Harris. Antoine, here's a good question. and We have not talked to any NFL players so far about this, and you played in the league when this, uh, this stuff was going on. Uh, the CTE situation and the head trauma and the NFL is trying to fix this right now with the new helmets and uh, the new position, body um, uh, equipment pads. that they're using and the pads that they're using now, trying to transition the game. You can't hit uh, above the waist anymore, really. You have to. You, you really have to hit them in a certain way. 
the, the, the different style of game and, and some of these young players that are coming into the game where you were trained differently growing up on how to hit a player. What are your thoughts with the NFL rule changing and, and the transition of the game because of the CTE situation? I get it, but in reality, it's, it's, it's like you're fighting a losing battle. It's kind of like uh, car companies trying to find the best airbag. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like It's going to be a full-speed car crash out there. Guys are going to get hurt. And as we have been speaking about this whole time and as you guys were talking about before, you have bigger, stronger, faster guys. And not only that, more importantly, smarter guys. So what's happening is people know where they have to be. They know where the ball's going. So if that if, if that's the case, you got guys who are going to go really fast to the ball. And so when you have two guys going really fast to the ball and there's one guy who's supposed to catch it and one guy who's supposed to make a play to stop him from catching it, I mean, there's there's only a cute couple things that can happen. And so if you, you know, I understand what the NFL is trying to do about where to hit people and this and that, but me as a safety, me as a special teams guy, going down full speed, kamikaze, it's hard for me to control where I'm going to hit the player who's going to get the ball. So if I'm a receiver and I'm going across the middle to catch the ball, I reach out to catch it, I extend, but then I'm going to ball up to protect myself. Now, as a safety, if I'm coming in and you're extended and I am going to hit your chest, but then you catch it and ball up and now I hit your head, you know, in college you're out of there. Like, you get kicked out. In the NFL, you may get kicked out and you're definitely going to see a big fine. And so it's 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 kind of – it's it's a, it's a thin line and, you, you know, I, I don't – there's really no winners in the situation because mm. it's hard for a guy to adjust how they play. And then it's hard for a referee and it's hard for a league to keep players safe because we're all out here trying to do a job and we're trying to do it well. And as football players, this is a game where we can get mad, go out there and hurt someone for free. You can <laughs> physically assault someone for free. And so like to have that and then for them to try to make so many rules that turns it into robotic or it just turns it into a touchdown fest Mm -hmm. and you know as a defensive player that gets frustrating so what are you going to do when you're frustrated take it out when you hit someone Mm -hmm. now you hit them too hard now you lost five six seven fifteen grand you know come wednesday you got a fedex in your locker so you know it's 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 tough like i said i get it but at the end of the day this is football this is a this is a warrior sport you go out there and you put on the equipment so you can go you know, throw your body around relentlessly. We talk about it all the time, defensive rules being really, really tough on defensive players now with the league really wanting to turn into an offensive league. A lot of that has to do with fantasy football. A lot of that has to do with what we mentioned, the CTE stuff. Do you think that it makes it really hard for the defensive players uh, because of those rules and as a result they have to play differently uh, technique-wise? And if that's the case, do you also think that could affect why players are getting hurt more often? Yeah, I think it's just a lot of, um, I don't want to say unnecessary thinking, but there's a lot of extra thinking going on as far as, you know, let's go back to the play where the safety against Minnesota ducked his head down and, like, just totally whiffed on uh, Diggs, and then Diggs scored a touchdown. I mean, I think, I don't want to say he was scared because he's played so many games, he's made so many plays, but when you are, like, thinking, I don't want to mess this up by hitting him the wrong way or, you know, hitting him before the ball gets there or this and that, and then you end up ducking your head down and totally whiffing. You know, so I think things like that happen because there's so many rules and guys are so scared to make mistakes. But, you know, it's in, in my 
my opinion, when you have a coach, for the most part, the coach should tell you to go out there and play the game. They tell you the rules. They tell you how you're supposed to do it. But you go out there and play the game. If you get a penalty in the full speed, you know, contact of the game, it happens, and you got to move forward. But I think that is a reason why a lot of guys are going to get hurt. A lot of guys are going to pull up. A lot of guys are going to miss tackles. I just think, you know, when you put too many rules to anything, it just starts to be a problem. Antoine, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media? Uh, well, I have a Twitter, which is Antoine Harris 41, A-N-T-O-I-N-E Harris 41. And then I also have a uh, sneaker Instagram and mm, sneaker Twitter mm. page because I sell uh, sneakers. Oh, I love sneakers. I love sneakers. Yeah, well, I got you. Let me know your size. You shoot me a message, and uh, I, I got you. We'll make it happen. All right. So, it's, is, uh, so give me, give me, give me that Instagram so I can look it up. Let me give you the, the sneaker Instagram and Twitter is the Shoe University. So it's Sneakerhead University. So S H U Sneakerhead U. Sneakerhead University. The Shoe University. S H U. University. Hey, write that down, Speedy. Do th- do that again, Antoine, because I, I Speedy's going to write it down for me. Just uh, tell him again. The, sneak the Shuna, your... Yes, the, the Shoe University, the Shoe University. S H U N I V E R S I T Y. The Shoe University. There we go. I, I, I am going. I'm definitely. I'm a sneaker fanatic. I'll I'll take a picture and send you some of the picture uh, the, the sneaker collection I have. The Jordan sneakers I That's have. Awesome. I, I love sneakers. Tell me, tell me your size. Tell me your size, and I got you. And anybody who's listening to this or watching this, send me a DM and let me know that you heard it, and then I'll give you a discount on the shoe. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We would love to get you back on when the football season starts. Uh, we've been talking to a lot of NFL players and have some maybe have a defensive insight of what's going on in the regular season during the during the year. We would love to get you on. For sure, sounds good. Just let me know, fellas. I got you. Thank you so much. Antoine Harris, you're great, man. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. As you guys know, uh, that was a great interview. That was awesome. <laughs> he is he's great. And I'm I'm gonna definitely buy his show. I'm definitely. I'm gonna give him the show university. Gonna, <laughs> I, I am like going that. to give him all the product uh, offer that he can get. So I am definitely going to be looking at product from him and buying some product from him. So Antoine Harris, you got another sale. So there you go. Um it's it was a great show today. That was that was that was an awesome set of interviews we had. He, yeah, he told so he told some great stories. Antoine Antoine told uh, told great stories. Eric Coleman he knows Eric and I'm gonna I want you to cut out that um, you know us uh, you know with the interview on, on a little bit of his thought of Eric Coleman because I want to send that to Eric throughout uh, social media. I think Eric will have a kick on that. So yeah, uh, I think they played for one year together uh, in 2008. I want to say 2009. I don't know, but I, yeah. I know he played because he played with Hutchins. So right. if he played with Hutchins, he played with Eric because Eric told me. Um, him and Hutchins became really, really good friends. Yeah. So mm-hmm. both interviews were awesome by those yeah, two. <laughs> both of them, very, very good. And, and and I'll tell you this, Antoine Harris has a great personality. He could be a broadcaster. He really could. Yeah. He mm-hmm. could absolutely be a broadcaster on a radio show. He, he gives you good good insight of the NFL. He didn't really hold back on anything that he said. He, he really gave us some good insight. So it was great. Maybe he could do his own sneaker show too while he's oh, at it. Me and him would do a great <laughs> sneaker show. I am a huge sneaker fan. So. I, I'm definitely going to take some pictures of my sneakers. I'm going to send it to him so he can see the – but I'm, I'm going to give him some business. I am going to give him some business because I love sneakers. So, Speedy, uh, I know we are supposed to sing songs today, so let's, let's pick a song, okay? Because I, I, I know we have about 11 minutes left, and I like to entertain people. So let's find sync tearing up my heart. Um, but 
I, I, I do want to say something about what's going on in professional sports. And with the NHL coming back, the NBA coming back, the MLB coming back now, and the NFL, which you heard what Roger Goodell said, ladies and gentlemen, that he plans to have fans out there in the audience. So if that's the case, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to the season. I, I really am. And it's, it's, it's incredible when you look at the game and the transition of the game and really the growth of where the NFL is going, it has to it has to draw you as a fan. It really does because the athletic ability of some of these kids and and really uh, what we've seen when when you talk about Joe Burrows, mm. Joe Burrows really showed you the transition of the game. He he's not a he is a pocket quarterback. That's what he is. He's not a uh, um, a mobile quarterback. Now he could run. But right. the, but the game has transitioned into the mobile quarterback with the Russell Wilsons, the Lamar, Lamar Jacksons, the mm-hmm. Sam Darnolds, the Josh um, Allen. Josh Allen's, mm-hmm. and you see these pocket quarterbacks. You think that these pocket quarterbacks would never come back, and then you see the number one pick was Joe Burrow's. So, and by the way, he's got a million people that follow him on yeah. Instagram. Well, it's I, crazy. It's one popular rise all at once. You didn't. Even, I don't think you've ever seen in college football a season just that sudden, that quickly, where he was able to do that undefeated season, Heisman Trophy, record setting, everything, and really just watching him visually just an awe in the, in the throws he can make and the tight windows he put in a window thrower a window thrower and again you're right he's not a mobile type quarterback like you see a Deshaun Watson or a Lamar Jackson but he can throw on the run and he can throw on different spots out of the pocket too which is very impressive and maybe that's the new wave kind of started by Patrick Mahomes when he started doing that, throwing in different spots, too. Well, I like to have fun with you guys, and I know I'm not the best singer. I, I will tell you that. I am one of the worst singers in creation, no to man, by the way. And I barely know these words, but I pick songs that will station you guys to laugh. So here we go. I don't know if this is. Uh, hey, hey, baby, I don't understand just why we can't be lovers. Things are getting out of hand. Trying too much, but baby, we can't win. Let it go. If you want me, girl, let me know. I am down on my knees. I can't take it anymore. It's tearing up my heart when I'm with you. But when I'm on my ball, I feel it too. And no matter what I do, I feel the pain with or without you. Come on, huh? Baby, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to tell you. In the corner of my mind Baby, it feels like we're running out of time Let it go If you want me, girl, let me know I am down on my knees I can't take it anymore 
It's tearing up my heart when I'm with you. But when I'm with my part, I feel it too. And no matter what I do, I feel the pain. With or without you, come on! Tearing up my heart and don't feel it, but I feel it too. And no matter what I do, I feel your pain. Come on, Josh! Jim! I'd like to thank Arizona head baseball coach Jay Johnson for joining us, Antoine Harris for joining us, all the fans that tune in to us every single Thursday for Below the Mic. We really appreciate you guys tuning in with us. Um, that's it for our show. I, I really, I mean, it, that was a terrible acapella for for all those fans out there that really think that I can sing. I, I, I'm telling you right now, I am one of the worst singers. Better than you singing like a chipmunk. <laughs> oh, you, you, you'd rather that? You, you want to hear me sing like a chipmunk? No, I said it's better than you singing like a chipmunk. Well, I least. thought that was really good. It was funny, sing. though. <laughs> it was funny. I, I thought it was really, really good. Very sensational. You know what I mean? And by the way, uh, Josh, uh, I'm looking forward to Off the Mat, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for Saturday. Him and Alex Lowe, I, I can't wait. Uh, the Finally, uh, the rehab of the introduction of Off the Mat on Saturday at 12 p.m. Stay tuned for that. I'd like to thank uh, the Big Guy Sports Show. Great, great show during the week, guys. you got to check them out. They are really, really talented. Um, the Sports Hit List, we have the Wise Guys joining us very, very soon. Uh, we have Snowman joining us. Snowman in the morning. <laughs> Shout out to the Morning Boys. Yes, the Morning Boys. Mr. Go ahead. Ryan Hickey. That's right. Mr. Ryan Hickey for uh, doing what he does best on Thursdays and Monday mornings. So he will be back full week next week. Mm. Um, looking forward to all our shows and the creation and moving forward of some of the new shows, bringing it to our network. Uh, I really appreciate everybody tuning into the show today. Um, we will be back on Monday, but tomorrow I will be back. With Anthony Anderosi, and we have a great show. we got a couple of UFC fighters joining us tomorrow. Um, Caged in MMA, it's going to be a great show tomorrow, and very funny. I'm Man. telling you right yeah, now. Yeah, you'll go back to your Team Gratitude and Team Panda fights. <laughs> there will be a lot of fights tomorrow <laughs> and a lot of arguing, so stay tuned for that. I, I'm sure uh, by the end of the show tomorrow, you guys will be very, very amused. Danny, what's going on, my friend? Haven't seen Danny. DJ Danny joining us. Uh, uh, our shows you heard are, you sing. Well, uh, anybody that hears me sing better run, okay? My voice will kill you when it comes to singing. And as far as radio, I can entertain you. But as far as singing is concerned, singing in sync, uh, tearing up my heart is not something that will be tearing. Well, actually, it will be tearing up your heart. That's for sure. <laughs> well played. Uh, yeah, so um, it's not something that will amuse. Well, it will amuse you guys. It will scare you guys, too. So I am not a singer. So I like to think pun game though. Yeah, I like to thank everybody that joins us every single day. And and by by the way, again, thank you to University of Arizona head baseball coach Jay Johnson and former NFL safety Falcons, Titans, and Philadelphia Eagle Antoine Harris for joining us. Great, great show. It really has been. Um, 
I'm looking forward to uh, next week. Uh, Caged in MMA tomorrow with Anthony Anderosi. Remember, you can follow us by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio. And Anthony, all you guys, Danny, if you didn't download our app, we have an app now. On the iOS, all you have to do is search us at WWSRN. Again, it's WWSRN on Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Search us. Download the app, guys. It is it, all our stuff, all our clips, all our stories, our shows. You can watch us live. You can follow us on our social media. It's all for you guys. Stay tuned for tomorrow, Caged in MMA and all our shows. And we'll have the big guy uh, sports show on tomorrow. And uh, are we? do we have uh, the wise guys tomorrow for a show? Wise guys are Monday. Okay, Monday they're starting. Monday, Monday. Yep. So we have, a great, we have a great lineup of shows for all the fans out there. Stay tuned for it. Um, off the mats on Saturday, if you love wrestling, 12 p.m. with Kyle. Uh, what was that? No. <laughs> was, was Alex Slows. No, no, no. I heard a beep. Did you hear that beep? Yeah, it was your phone, I think. Oh, damn. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Josh and um, I'm sorry, Alex Slows. Uh, guys, I'm tired. I've had a long day. All right. Long day, hot day, humidity, Long Island stinks. Okay. Stinks. I sweat like an ice cream cone every single day. <laughs> All right. I am done. I am done. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Good night, everybody. You're you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.